One time I was drunk on a morning show in Montana. The host asked me if I had a nickname. Said my friends call me the Dirtbag King. She said on the air I started giggling. Hasn't had me back, but now I've got this podcast. Welcome to my podcast. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in. My name's Charles Ellsworth, and you're listening to A Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road. If you're not familiar with me, that's all right. You're definitely not the only one. I'm a songwriter first, musician second, somewhere down the line filmmaker. Pretty much I just like to tell stories. Some people have called me a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, and I'm definitely semi-professional at everything I do. Nothing single-handedly makes me a living, but it all adds up to getting by. Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning in to A Dirtbag's Guide this week. Um, This week's episode is with a new friend, Alex Barone. Um, She's a friend of a friend who's been kind of traveling a whole bunch, most of her adult life, and is now working on a trail crew uh, for the, I believe, National Park Service. And a really interesting story. We get into some pretty heavy stuff about depression, mental health, her personal struggles with eating disorders and drug addiction. So it's a, it's a pretty heavy, heavy episode. And I just wanted to warn anyone who might, you know, be sensitive to some of these things that we do talk pretty in depth about that stuff, but it's also mostly lighthearted and um, very hopeful. It's a really cool conversation. And I just want to thank, thank Alex for being so open to um, exploring these, these trials that she's been through so deeply and for letting me kind of try to, letting me stumble my way around relating it back to some of my own experiences um i'm super glad that we had this conversation the rest of my day afterwards was just such a good day and i just hope you all enjoy it as much as i did Uh, we don't have any sponsors for this episode because we've never really had any sponsors (laughs) um not because we don't want them but we don't really have anyone knocking down the door to throw us some marketing dollars so if anyone is interested in sponsoring the show or feels like my very niche audience is something they want to reach, please reach out to me. Um, so yeah, but for now, the, the sponsor of the show is, is I guess me, uh, as of recording this right now, my new single blessed has been out for two weeks and I just want to say thanks so much for all the listens, the love, the support. It's just been overwhelming and the kind words everyone said about, the song is just, it's meant a whole lot. And I'm just so thankful for all you all listening. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, please go to whatever streaming platform you listen to music on. Look up my name, Charles Ellsworth, and the name of the song is Blessed. Uh, while you're over there, just please follow my profile, my artist profile, and save a few of my songs to a playlist you res- listen to regularly. Um, every stream makes a big difference for independent artists such as myself. Uh, you can also support the show uh, over at Patreon. Uh, you can sign up to chip in a few bucks each month, whatever amount you're not going to miss too much. I've got a lot of new projects coming down the pipeline, such as a new record, music videos, uh, patron-only YouTube series that I'm working on, um, just and a whole lot more. Um, there's a lot of things I really want to do this next year, especially because I don't know if I'm going to be able to tour a whole lot. So a way you can kind of be up to date and involved on whatever I'm doing and support me directly and my music and the show is go to patreon.com forward slash Charles Ellsworth and sign up to chip in a few bucks. It makes a world of a difference for me. 
Um, last but not least, I've got some cool merchandise for sale over at charlesellsworth.bandcamp.com. Um, I, I'd love it to be out of my closet and in your possession. Uh, I've got a fair amount of merch left from a year that I do- wasn't able to really tour or play a whole lot of shows. And so would just love for y'all to have those. And, um, I recently, I just hired a publicist to help me pitch the new record to major publications and hopefully, um, get the record heard by as many people as possible. Um, hiring a professional publicist is not cheap. Breaking a record is very expensive. From what I hear, I've never had one of mine quote unquote break, but kind of pull, pulling out all the stops and trying to see how far this one can go. Cause I think it's really, really good. And I'm really excited about it. So um, if you all want to just help me out with that by ordering a t-shirt or a hat, there's a free koozie with any hat or t-shirt this um, while supplies last. Uh, and it just makes a huge difference to me. Um, with all that being said, I just want to thank you all so much for the support and for listening to the podcast. I uh, love you all so much. Please just stay safe, wear a mask, wash your hands. Let's stop the spread of this virus. So me and my friends can all get back out on tour this next year. Um, also please go out and vote. Um, let's stop the spread of fascism that's taken root in our country and vote that monster out of the Oval Office. Um, I love you all so much. Thank you for listening and please enjoy my talk with my new friend, Alex Brown. So, uh, how, how are you doing, Alex? Uh, I'm pretty good. I just kind of got off work, and so I'm just getting my life together. We do uh, when you're away for eight days, and I've just kind of been uh, doing a lot of chores and trying to work on my van, uh, which is a major construction project, so just biting off one bit at a time here. Cool. Well, uh, you want to just jump right in? Yeah, let's let's do it. All right. Well, I don't even know your last name, Alex. What's your last name? And is is Alex okay? Like, what? Um, we we don't really know each other at all. So exactly. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Alex is totally cool, and my last name is Barone. Great, Barone. So, um, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> listening to <laughs> a dirtbag's guide to life on the road. Um, this is my new friend. Alex Barone. How's it going, Hello. Alex? <laughs> uh, pr- pretty great. Pretty great. Cool. Well, um, so Alex is a friend of my friend Dana, and she thought that she'd be a great guest on the show. So I'm really excited to interview you because I don't really know a whole lot about you. So why don't you tell us, you, just, you said you just spent $8, eight, $8, eight days, um, <laughs> Uh, working. What what do you do for work? Yeah, so I do trail work, um, and I have for the past three seasons in like some capacity. I've also I've had a eight day, six day off schedule um, for the past three years, so that's like one of the more unique things about it. Um, but right now I work at Bandelier National Monument, which is in Los Alamos, New Mexico, so northern New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, and I work on trail crew. So trail crew, uh, they exist like in most national forests and uh, national parks and maintain trails, build the trails and do all things trail related. Cool. That's awesome. You're in Los Alamos. My, I, my aunt lived there for a lot of my childhood. So I, I've spent a lot of time in Los Alamos. That's awesome. Did she work at the lab? 
Uh, no, my cousin did and does. I think he still does, actually. Um, oh. Yeah, he's, like, much older, so, like, we're not super close. But, like, uh-huh. I, I know he worked at a lab for a long time, and, like, uh, my aunt worked at a, a bank there in town. Okay. Yeah, it's always now, interesting to find someone who, like, doesn't work at the lab who lives in Los Alamos. <laughs> yeah, for real. My mom actually spent a fair amount of her childhood or a few years there. I don't know. Like, it. I can't remember exactly, but I think a good chunk of, like, junior high and part of high school before they moved on to, like, the Phoenix area. Okay, yeah, yeah. So just, like, always in the Southwest? Yeah, I mean, they were in Kansas before they made it to New Mexico, but um, okay. that's that's a whole other story. One of these days I'm going to interview my mom, so. Oh, that'll be uh, great. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll we'll figure it out. She's she's a listener to the podcast, I think. Hi, Mom. How are you? <laughs> um uh, so Alex, so by trail work, like that's really cool. You're just out out in the backcountry, just uh, working on trails and. Yeah, um, yeah. Right now I am. Um, well, this that was my last time, my last uh, hitch in the backcountry. So we're moving to the front country, which will be uh, a bit of a relief because it's getting kind of cold and dark right now. Uh, so those ten hour days, there's there's just not enough time to make it happen. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's. Um, that makes sense that you'd, uh, yeah, the shorter days with the season and whatnot. So where are you from originally? Where did you grow up? Um, I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I lived there until I was 23. So I'm 27 now. So just I left about four years ago. But, yeah, from the big city. Okay, from Pittsburgh. Cool. I love Pittsburgh. It's a great town. Um, it's yeah, beautiful. I like it too. It's It's awesome. I had a lot of fun growing up there, honestly. What was your childhood like? Did you uh, um, have siblings, uh, mom and dad around? What's uh... Yeah, so let's see. Uh, maybe an abbreviated version of childhood. I do have a sister. She's three years younger than I am. Um, so we grew up together. We grew up, like, in the suburbs outside of Pittsburgh, and we moved once. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's a... There were some pretty good times and there were some pretty bad times, I would say. So, I mean, you know, it kind of all leads you to where you are today, uh, no matter what happens. But, um, yeah, my parents, like, struggled with addiction and they were uh, clean for some period of time. And that was a better period of time in my childhood that I look back on. But ultimately, it was a, it was a bit tumultuous and difficult at times. Um, super anxious kid and... I just, you know, didn't have a lot of hobbies. I didn't have a lot of direction, discipline, um, and I didn't get to spend a lot of time outdoors. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird to look back on. Um, but yeah, ultimately, I don't know. It was some hard times. Totally. No, that sounds, that sounds like it, it would be really tumultuous. You said you were really anxious. Has that, um, how has that like transpired into your adult life? Because like for me as as well, I didn't realize the level of anxiety I had until like a few years ago. It like always existed, but I didn't really realize it because like past high school, I was just like drinking and self medicating most of the time and not realizing that that was what it was. And then I quit drinking and it was like, oh, that's what I'm doing. Well, that's what's going on right now. I'm just like insanely anxious at all times. <laughs> 
right? Like you start to, you learn that you have to feel your feelings and then it's like, whoa, you're like, oh my gosh, how did I realize this? I'm like 20, I'm like 30, almost 30 years old. I'm yeah. like, oh my goodness, what a jarring realization. But yeah, and I think like when you're anxious as a kid, it's really difficult because children like don't really have the capacity to express complex emotions. So it always just like looks like something else or feels like something else. You don't have that word for it at all. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I remember my sister, like, being born, like, sent me into a tailspin at, like, age three, and my parents took me to the psych ward, and I was like, that's, like, that's going to set the tone for the rest of my life. (laughs) Great. Like, my first experience at three years. And it was, it was, like, fairly normal. Like, it wasn't a huge deal, but, like, my sis, like, knowing that I was going to have to, you know, have another kid in the house, like, really sent me into this viral as a three-year-old um and it's like kind of one of my first memories just like looking back on uh that feeling and those behaviors and uh yeah then through school I mean yeah it just transpired so much um I was like I, I was a lot bigger than other kids and I like grew up really fast and went through puberty early and so it was like really that did not help at all because <laughs> I like looked different from everybody and I stood apart from everyone and people really notice that, and kids are, like, super honest, good for them. But uh, when you're a fellow kid, man, that stuff is kind of hard to hear sometimes. And, uh, yeah, it can be really work. painful. Absolutely. Um, um, yeah, I mean, there's some good there's some good times, too. And I, I did have – I did find some friends and whatnot. But, I, again, I just didn't have a lot of hobbies. Um, but I was pretty good, like, academically. So I guess that's kind of where I found myself a little as a kid. Okay. So with the tumultuous like family life kind of um, held on to school or kind of kind of latched onto that and focused on that. Yeah, yeah, like read a lot of books and I wrote a lot and uh, yeah, I, I I really enjoyed doing that and I still do. Um, so yeah, I think that's like the saving grace of my my early childhood. Totally. Yeah. No, there's uh, there's it's funny. My a friend of mine and I were just talking the other day. Uh, and he's, because um, he's just starting therapy, and he said something along the lines of, he's like, it's like wild. It feels like you just spend your first few years as a kid, like, um, being a person and having all these experiences, and then you spend the rest of your life trying to unlearn all of the, the habits and the, the trauma that you went through. Like, you form by the time you're 10 years old, and the rest of it's just, like, repeating things or trying to work past old traumas and whatnot. And it's, it's a an interesting way to approach life I think yeah I think there's a lot of truth to that and it's like it kind of sucks because you're like man it's like just 10 years it's like why does it matter so much but then you grow up and you're like oh man and then you you have to put that work in though and I think that um like I'm glad that a lot of people especially now are like are seeing that you know and they're and they're really willing to put that work in because it's it's worth it you know and um yeah, I feel like our our the generation like my parents, for example, it's like you know they could have benefited from doing the same thing, and I think that our generation sort of values that a little more, which is great. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's becoming a lot more acceptable, um, and I think that the institutions that our parents and grandparents turn to, such as like um, the church or the um, or politics or whatever, of just like our our generation is able to kind of be like, uh, it's, uh, 
you know, just like maybe we should lean towards science in some ways, I guess. I don't know. It's like, uh, I don't know. There's to me with, with politics and, and religion, it's always about control and uh-huh. with like, like owning your own personal trauma and your, um, and like your own journey and your own mental health, uh, is, is about your, you taking back control. Right, and right. I, and and yeah. I love that our generation is kind of working in that direction. Absolutely, me too. Because, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's great to believe in something to, in some capacity. You know, it, it, it saves us from total nihilism. But, uh, yeah, there's also, like, that belief in ourselves, and we have to build that up, and we have to work toward that. And, uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's nice when it just falls into place, but usually there's, like, a lot of grit that goes into getting to where it does fall into place before it falls apart again, of course, but... Totally. Well, yeah, no, it's really interesting. You you mentioned something earlier about being like nearly 30 and you're just realizing this. And I'm like, I know people who are in their seventies and haven't done this work. So, um, you know, it's it's like, don't, uh, don't, don't beat yourself up about getting to the game late because like the fact that you're getting there at all is like a huge accomplishment. Right. Um, Right. But I want to kind of take a step back because we're we're getting pretty deep into it. And I love that. And I I like to kind of get a better, better idea of like your your, uh, painting of your picture so like like let's say what was high school like were you involved in any sort of clubs or was you were you still really involved academically you know kind of walk through what are you listening to what what does this look like okay yeah so I guess oh this is yeah it's gonna it's gonna dive a little deep but I guess um (laughs) well I would say around 12 years old it's that that sort of self-awareness kicks in and like so if you have a tumultuous childhood the way that I did, you still lack that ability to express the way that you're feeling, but you can make a lot more decisions for yourself. And uh, that turned out to be pretty uh, difficult for me to contend with because, uh, yeah, I just it started as, um, you know, kind of, I, I was started doing drugs. I started uh, buying pills and smoking weed and I developed an eating disorder and I was struggling with self-harm and you know I'm still a kid um and it's you know and and there's a part of it that you know I look back on and everyone's like there were some attempts to like intervene and whatnot but you know it's really tough and I think um ultimately like I had to go through that and uh I mean it's hard too because um a lot of people you know, my parents were like, this is a phase, this is a phase, and uh, that would color the next, like, 10 years of my life pretty pretty well, uh, for better or for worse. And, um, yeah, it just evolved into a lot of things. So middle school was really hard. Uh, I, middle school is, like, unfair that everyone has to do it in the first place because I, I don't think it's good for people who even have, like, the best of times. You oh, know? totally. What, what years are you talking about middle school? Because it varies or at least my experience was weird. So are you talking like 6th, 7th grade-ish? Yeah, 6th, 7th, 8th grade was technically okay. so like 12, 13, 14. Um, yeah, so it's just that social pressure is like so heavy and you're just trying. Totally. And this is the day and age, like this is when Zanga and LiveJournal and MySpace are coming about. So, oh, okay, uh, yeah. That really adds this, it really added this element because like, you know, people are talking about your people at your school online and you know like you're like reading stuff about yourself online it's like I mean it's just it's so vicious like people are so mean in middle school 
and uh it's, it's so oh it, it's brutal i because i at that age we were on uh like either like msn messenger or aol instant uh-huh. messenger because like a few years later is when i got on the myspace i wasn't it wasn't until I was like 16 or 17. right right that's probably oh man that's like it's i know it's just a few years but it's probably, it's probably better because it was i don't know it's just it looking back on it it's just i mean it's unavoidable like i know it's it's everyone was experiencing that social pressure to some degree. And then like whatever your childhood brought you to that brought brings you to that moment, you know, and you're just dealing with these emotions for the first time. They're just, they were coming to a head for me. And like, yeah, I just, I struggled a lot um, with like drug use and uh, like really young too. I mean, I was doing. Who who introduced you to this world? Sorry to interrupt. Oh, it's okay. yeah, how did you, um, you know, like at 12, may, I, I'm i sure I could have, like, gotten involved in drugs had I, like, really wanted to, but it just wasn't, like, a part of my reality at that age. So it wasn't, a, I mean, a year or two later, like, and I knew kids that were doing it, but, like, what did what did that look like, how you kind of first got into that? Um, I, like, try to look back. I mean, the, inter- the internet was super influential because there's these blogs that are, ta- I mean, especially, so I, I mean, I think it's, it's hard to think of, like, what ailment of mine came first, kind of, but they all sort of drove uh, each other to the next thing. Um, but I started to develop eating problems, and so there, there's this horribly toxic community that exists online, um, and that's what I saw. Uh, when I was 12, okay. you know, um, yeah. and it's like telling you how to achieve this basically. And before that, like pathology sets in, you know, it's it's kind of these the series of intent, uh, yeah. intentional actions and behaviors, I guess. Um, but the thing I did, I bought I I bought someone's prescription of Adderall because I found out that you know it would keep you up and you would it would suppress your appetite. Um, and that I found that out on the internet, uh, on like Zanga or something. I don't remember the exact medium, but that's like okay. what got me into that. And then, and my parents were, um, you know, I think at that time they didn't, they weren't drinking or using drugs, which is great. But, um, you know, there was uh, memories of that from my childhood uh, in terms of like my role models. And yeah, Ooh. I... I don't recall that. I do not recall other twelve-year-olds doing drugs, though. So, like, it wasn't my friends. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was just like something that you you found access to, and you were kind of in this alone, completely. Yes, absolutely. I was. I was feeling super isolated, and uh, yeah, I was keeping trying to keep a lot of secrets. Wow, that's. Um... And my heart breaks for you, uh, for the young version of, or not version of you, for you, but you, for you, you back then, thinking about that. Yeah, it was it was a rough time, and it and it just kind of evolved. From and did so, and you said this kind of was like a good ten years of your life that uh, it kind of dictated in a way. Yeah, definitely. I think like you know by the and then I mean I started to take a lot more drugs like later in time and like drinking and stuff because I think around it was probably in the eighth grade when my parents started drinking again um and my dad was 
always a heavy drinker um, besides this like period of time, like maybe five to seven years, I don't quite remember, that they quit drinking. And I remember seeing that and I was like, man, this is the beginning of, <laughs> of the end. And, uh, and then the environment at home became way more toxic, I guess. And um, my parents also were bringing drugs into the house. And so I had access to a lot of opiates. Um, I had a lot of older friends who were doing opiates. I mean, you know, the East Coast especially, um, Pittsburgh, Ohio, uh, the surrounding areas, uh, the opiates came in kind of hard. And uh, people, you know, were doing heroin and doing pills, and that's what I was doing. Um, I knew more kids in high school that uh, did pills than smoked pot. Yep, yep. That's, like, so universal, and it's so awful because it's so insidious. But, and that's the thing, yeah, you have access to it. Totally. And it was, I mean, I don't know if you saw, but yesterday a a judge ruled that Purdue Pharma, who developed OxyContin, they got like an $8 billion settlement. And like this whole thing, yeah, where it's like, oh, finally this is kind of catching up to these people. But these individuals who, like, they knew what they were doing. Yep. They they destroyed Uh rural America. I I know so many people who who died from this and the the actual human beings responsible for it are going to get a slap on the wrist and their right. company's going to have to shut down. Right. It's like, it's so, it was, it's, it's awful. They, I mean, I guess, yes, yeah, some justice is being served, but that's like just a drop in the bucket of what, oh, yeah. of the damage that was done. Like that is, that's like an, a, a, an economy of its own in rural America. And it's just like decimated those communities. Oh, those people are as evil as Hitler and the Nazis. Like, Absolutely. I, and I, I don't, I don't, you know, it's like, I don't know. Sorry, this is a tangent. But they're, they're responsible <laughs> for so much pain and death and sorrow and and all, like, knowing all along that they were doing it and all in exchange for just money and stock and, like, to make themselves and the people in their board richer. And it's like, oh, man, that, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's pure evil. It's just, yeah, like knowing that I, re- I read a book about it. Uh, maybe it was called Dreamland a couple years ago. And yeah, just the way that they they, they knew exactly what they were doing. And that's the, that's the worst part. I mean, it just it wasn't a mistake. It was by yeah. design. And that's, yeah, it breaks my heart because, yeah, a lot of people I know died too. Um, and yeah, I mean, it affected, it affected my life over and over in so many ways. And just, yeah, so much pain um, for so many people, not just the people who died, but everyone who's lost people, everyone who's watched anyone go down that path and recover, you know, even that yeah. painful. It's just devastated, like, so much of this country. I, I, it's un, unbelievable. Um yeah. I uh, I'm sorry for the tangent, but um, no, no. It's... So so at the, at this point in in high school, you're you know heavily involved in this. What is what is, I mean? And if this isn't if if I get too personal, um, please let me know. But like I sometimes like kick myself for not like digging a little deeper in these. I mean, we're questions. we're already there. So like there's yeah. there's no <laughs> there's no getting through the story of my life like without this. So let's yeah, yeah so, go for it. So what is like a, your daily habit or weekly like at this point in high school? Like cuz I, I had a opiate habit for a brief minute before and I stopped it. It it, it didn't get too out of hand, you know, before mm-hmm. it, and even even that like I couldn't 
afford physically, financially, and mentally. You know what I mean? So like, oh, I yeah. can't imagine being in high school with this added thing. What like what did that look like? Sorry if um or you know if you don't mind filling us in. Oh of course not. I am happy to I so yeah, I guess high school, um I I was never like physically addicted to any drugs, which I'm so thankful for because it's way easier to uh, you know, not do them if you're not and also yeah, if you're in high school you don't make a lot of money. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of hard. But I think, like, mostly it was just – I was just, like, on the great escape, you know. I wanted out of the real world. I stopped going to school. Uh, I missed, you know, 70-plus days a year. I would just, like, leave school in the middle of the day. You know, starting in middle school, I could not stand school. Um, I was always trying to get out. And my parents uh, did opiates, too, at home. And so I would find, I would take their – drugs um which made the access easier and uh yeah so that happened you know if i can't get that it's whatever i'm taking acid or mushrooms or or smoking weed or i'm drinking or taking adderall whatever i could get my hands on um and then also you know having these issues with eating that are they're evolving they're they're ebbing and flowing you know it's it's never that consistent through high school um, so just everything to not be there basically. Um, and there, you know, there are good, better periods of time during this kind of darkness, but, uh, it's overall pretty difficult, pretty mm-hmm. difficult. So day to day, um, yeah, just not going to school, kind of hiding out, waiting till my parents left to work, going back to my house, maybe trying to get someone to come hang out with me. <laughs> um, and you know, kind of party and stuff. And then more people also uh, were were using drugs and doing what I was doing when I got to high school. And so I had more of a community and I'm, you know, making some friends here. And so my life is kind of normal, but there is this under, there is this underarching tone. Well, I don't go to school, so maybe it's not that normal, <laughs> but there's this underarching tone of like always getting drugs and, uh, you know, trying to find people to get rides from. You're, you're not very independent when you're that young. You know, no license, no money. Um, so hanging out with all the wrong people, doing all the wrong things. Totally. Well, and that's um, well. One thing you said is like, uh, you know, it's normal, but but maybe not that normal. And I'm like, well, I guess you know, I'm not breaking any ground here, but like, you buy a brand new car, your dream car, and two like a week later, it's normal. Like uh-huh. it's, it's your it's your car, and it could be yep. a cool car, but it's, but it's you know what I mean. So normal is so subjective that Absolutely. um, you know, like I thought the town that I grew up in is so normal. It's like stereotypical, very very American, like 1990s 2000s, like high school football. Um, you know what I mean? Like it is right. so normal that like it's fucking wild. It's weird as fuck. Like, does, does that make sense? It's yes, like, absolutely. I know. Like, I've been to that town before. It's somewhere, you know. They exist all over the place, and you're like, whoa. Yeah, so, like, normal is so relative. Like, it's like I, I kind of plug into back home, and I, I mean, I, I'm very grateful for where I'm from and whatnot, but, like, to show, not tell. And, and the, um, and the like, I, I saw on Facebook that to raise money for, like, a in an officer, a cop who had been killed, mm-hmm. um, or for 
for like a raffle in his or for like a scholarship in his name or something like that. Yeah. They were they were raffling off an AR-15. Oh my god! <laughs> I was just like, okay, wait, so but like this they... officer got killed, and so now you're gonna raffle off a gun to raise money for this fallen officer? I'm just That's... like. So out of touch, like what? I, no, and I was just like, but it's also like the normalest shit ever because America's fucking, fucking crazy. Like that's I don't know. True. That's so, that's like very American. Yeah, it, it was it was one of those moments. I don't know. It's just like, and this is the community that raised me, and like, and I mm-hmm. and I love a lot of people there, and I'm not trying to talk shit at all, but it's like. That compared to my reality now is just so completely different. My normal now is is it's it's no longer like accident people dying by accident. It's like gang violence. Like you know uh-huh. what I mean? It's I don't know. So normal is so subjective and relative. And it totally is. I, I totally I relate to that too. You know, it's like just looking back at what I thought was normal is like a little insane. Totally. And so when you <laughs> did when you did become like. You're hanging out with all the wrong people in as a teenager and whatnot, and so when you became like a quote unquote adult, which I really don't think actually happens to like 28 years old ish. Exactly. But like, <laughs> but like when you became an adult in society's eyes, um, like qualified for the electric chair, um, what did what did you do? Like, what what did life look like then? So, like, throughout high school, there's a few big events that sort of pushed me into, I guess, what you would call the the next, yeah, the adult phase. So, um, yeah, younger in high school, things are just crazy, totally out of control. I was in a relationship that was, like, pretty uh, not great. I mean, it was it was definitely pretty abusive. It was super codependent. This person had addiction issues herself. Um, and I was like trying to be the helper, you know what I mean? I'm trying to like save someone and it wrecked me and I'm 15, 16, 17 in this relationship. You know, I'm very young again, I'm a kid and I like really am just acting like an adult in this. I mean, I, I never been in a relationship before and yeah, like love is blind, but like that was like, I mean, that was blind and just everything else. I mean, it was bad. Um, and after that ended, life got a little bit brighter. Um, I did I did lose a very good friend when I was 15 um, to heroin. And, like, we were inseparable, you know, before, you know, she's the person who, she's celebrating Christmas with my family. We're going on vaca- family vacations together. Um, yeah. And she passed away when she was 17 and I was 15. Yeah. Um, and that changed my world a lot because I... I didn't know that you could die. Like, I had never really faced my mortality in relation to my behaviors. And I was doing things that could kill me every single day for, like, three years at that point, you know? Um, yeah, no, that's that's a heavy – I can think of my exact moment where that happened when I was in high school. Um, yeah. I had like, a, when one of my peers died, someone I played football with, Mm-hmm. And it was just like, speaking of like online, like so I found out on MSN M- Messenger, like someone was like, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? And I was like, oh, no, hear what? And they were like, he died. I was just like, what the fuck? Right, it's and jarring. I, it's- and I wasn't even like that close to him, so I can't even imagine what that was like for you. Yeah, that's that's the thing, though. Like, I mean, we were super close, but, like, 
it affected every, when, when a young person dies it's like it yeah. it's just different cuz everybody knows that person you know that you're in a school with hundreds of or I went to a pretty large high school you know there's hundreds of people who at least know that person's name and it's just it's a ripple effect through a whole community whether or not you know that person um totally. yeah it was just it was shocking and it was horrific and I, I you know I can't believe it still um and that that changed my perspective at least I I knew that like yes I I could die um I never really thought about that before and that's kind of weird but I guess most people don't when they're when they're that young and so that changed my perspective a little and then when I got out of a relationship with that girl I well, entered a new relationship immediately um with this guy who was also struggling with addiction. Surprise, surprise. Um, Same pattern. Yeah. <laughs> no surprise there, uh, especially with my parents' history. Um, and, you know, it starts off so rocky. And, you know, I'm, like, addicted to this drama at this point, too. There's this part of me that's like, well, what's a relationship if there's no drama every single day, if you're not, like, vying for this person's affection? Um, yeah. And... Yeah, so we start dating, and it's, you know, it's all pills and drinking and drugs. Um, and then, oh, what happened? Uh, I don't know. A bunch of psychedelics later, he got sober. Um, and and then he also, at the same time, like, committed to me more. And I'm about seven, I'm probably about 18 at this point. This is my shift into adulthood. So, uh, and he's a little older um, in college and stuff, and so that exposed me to this other world of like he's sober and he's newly sober and I want to be with this person. So I'm like, well, maybe I shouldn't do drugs and drink around this person. Cause like he's trying pretty hard <laughs> to get his life yeah. together. Um, yeah, totally. So yeah, I just kind of stopped. I think, I mean, I'm sure I probably like smoke weed and drank occasionally with my friends and stuff. And I did over the next few years, but I think probably past the age of 18, I didn't do any more psychedelics. I didn't do any more pills. Um, and, yeah, life got a lot better because our relationship was pretty decent. And uh, I started to develop hobbies, and I started to, like, have fun <laughs> sober and, like, do things that weren't drugs or, like, escaping in that in that bad way. Yeah, you were fi finding ways to enjoy the moment and that, like, actually – what you were doing or something to enjoy the time instead of like escaping from the time. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, it was just, it was so much fun. I mean, I, yeah, I started like, what sort of hobbies? Sorry. Oh, uh, so mostly, well, I remember when we first met, we started going to festivals. I started going to, I went to shows all the time when I was, that's something that was fun when I was younger. I went to shows all the time. My mom would be driving me around to, Wherever, all the clubs in Pittsburgh, and sometimes, you know, I take, like, mega buses uh, to, like, Chicago or New York and go see shows there. Um, as soon as I, like, could learn, I learned how to take, like, public transit and buses, and I was like, I'm going to the city every day. Um, yeah. And so that just, that became more something I did when I was when I was later. So uh, we went to a lot of shows, went to museums, like, did a lot of art, a lot of food, loved eating out and uh yeah i did have a fake id uh, so like kind of started like going to more bars and stuff which was like it, it had a different tone to it though you know this is these are social events um 
going mm-hmm. to more like parties and stuff. I don't know, I love the city, you know. Um I love to dress up and like which is so weird to me now because I'm like I am not I still really like uh those things and that person but I'm like so different now. But yeah, that's kind of what I started to feel. I just started to develop this different identity. And mm-hmm. uh yeah, I just love culture and music. Do you remember what that shift in identity was like? Do you remember like um much of the pain of letting go of that former version of yourself or any like uh, do do you remember any of that? Well, now that I'm talking about it, I kind of yeah, there's this like feeling of relief uh that colors that time in my life and um yeah, I think uh I mean there's still this deep insecurity and I still struggle I still struggled with an eating disorder um that would ultimately develop for a few more years. But like I don't know, yeah, I felt this this feeling of relief. I felt like I was having a lot of fun. I felt I felt secure and I felt like I mean the relationship that I ended up in wasn't perfect, but I definitely I think that that made me feel way more secure. Um and I, I started to feel independent, you know. I, I was making my own decisions. And uh, then, what else? Oh, and when I was 19, I went on a road trip for two months across the country with my best friend. And uh, that that really changed everything for me, too. So um, that's, that's awesome because now, now we're on the road. Um, yes, yes. But... But no, I, I think because I think a lot of what you've just told us is going to inform a lot of what we're going to find out now. So I'm really yes. excited about that. And um, I I had a, one other thought that I can't think of right now. So, um, what inspired this road trip? Um, I don't know. My friend Jenica, my best friend since I was like twelve, probably she met me. She met me at the worst time and stuck with, with me through it all. Um, she was like, do you want to go on a road trip? She had been in the Conservation Corps and she knew a bunch of people who lived all the way across the country. And she planned this road trip and she was like, do you want to go? And I said, absolutely. So I quit my job. And, you know, I don't have, I'm not like good at saving money. I'm 19. I'm horrible at it. Uh, I have no idea how I'm going to make this work. I didn't even, I have like failed my driver's test so many times and I didn't even have my license yet. So I was like, oh, really? Wow. I was like, I got to go get my license. <laughs> so I got my license. And we hit the road. It was New Year's Eve. I was 19. Uh, and we drove to St. Louis first. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. It just I was like, there's no way I could say no to this offer, um, especially when, like, you know, she planned the whole thing. We had we were staying for free with her friends. So it's like, it's not going to be crazy expensive. And I don't know. I'd always wanted to travel. I mean, because, you know, I was – an escape artist of sorts. Uh, yeah. And I I was bad at it because I was doing really harmful things that hurt myself and everyone around me. And I guess I probably saw it as an opportunity to, to get that escape without harming anyone. And that felt like it could be really liberating. And it was. Totally. So where did you, so you went to St. Louis first. Where all did you go on this road trip? And, and at 19, what are you... Um, is this your first like what was did you travel much as a kid? It doesn't sound like you you did. Um no, it's like Florida and the Outer Banks and uh Ocean City, Maryland, you know, like these beachy kind of family destinations. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is your first time seeing the country. 
Yeah, the first, I've been in New York City a lot, and I've been to Chicago a few times because mm-hmm. I used to go to Lollapalooza every year. Um, and then New York, because if the shows didn't come to Pittsburgh, I would get that $5 bus up to New York and, like, yeah, totally. <laughs> couch surf or whatever. Because, um, like, I was obsessed with Gwen Stefani when I was younger, so I was always, like, going to see No Doubt. Like, if I could see No Doubt, yeah. <laughs> I'll go see them. Um, that was one of my first CDs, Tragic Kingdom. Yeah, it's so good. Like, it stands the test of time, and it always will. <laughs> oh, yeah. My my roommate, Jericho, who's been on the show, was like, I was in high school when they were, like, fucking huge. And he's like, every guy wanted to be with her, and every girl wanted to be her. Exactly. Like, she was so cool. I, like, thought that's, no, that made my childhood so good, too, because I had no doubt. Like, and I, my, my obsession, like, ran deep. My parents were like, you need to stop talking about Gwen Stefani, like that's all you, that's all I talked about as a kid. But it was like I found that music, and it was everything to me. Like it, it meant totally. the entire world to me. I mean, I had every B side. I had, and I'm like, you know, this is a golden age of downloading music. So I'm just like destroying my parents' computer with my LimeWire downloads. Um, but yeah, <laughs> uh, love no doubt. So yeah, so 19, we're traveling across the country. Um, and so it's like my first time besides I've been to some big cities. Like I was attracted to cities uh, and I only really traveled for music. And um, so then, yeah, we went to Kansas uh, and then went to Colorado. We went to Denver and uh, we started hiking there. And then we went to Moab and we went to Flagstaff. Where else? Um, then we traveled up the whole coast. We started in Chula Vista, California and like went to LA and um, just up the coast, we went to Big Sur. My first backpacking trip was in Big Sur, and it was, like, the worst time ever, and I couldn't wait to do it again, um, <laughs> which is, like, that's that, seriously, that was such a shift for me because it was, like, you know, it rained the whole time. Everything got I, wet. Nothing yeah. fit, and I was, like, I cannot wait to do that again. That's uh, my brother and roommate hiked the PCT last season. And oh, nice. They came back saying like um, that. It's, they told me about type two fun. Yes, yes. Which I had, I had never heard that that term before. But so much of my life has been defined by type two fun, where it's like in the moment you're like, this sucks. This is the yep. worst shit ever. And then you look <laughs> back on it and you're like, that was so dope. Yep, that is that that is my whole existence now. Um, I think I made time for some type one fun, but it is a lot of type two fun. But that, yeah, that was the first time I experienced that, and uh, yeah, just like digging into that discomfort um, was so incredible to me. And yeah, then we went up to Oregon, and we did like we went to Salem and Portland, and then ended in Olympia, Washington, and I flew home out of Seattle, um, a changed person. That's really dope. And so from there, what did you, because I know that you um, kind of at some point have become just almost full-on nomadic. Like, what, what, when did that happen? Yeah, so I guess the next couple of years were full of moments that sort of led to that. So I guess the precipitating factors, well, one was that trip, and then I came home and um, what happened? I well, there was a there was a, I had a rough patch because I my I had a I was always dealing with an eating disorder. I mean, like I had like 
you know, probably four different like marked eating disorders. And so I'm dealing with just like whatever is going on um, at the time, but it developed, it turned into anorexia, which became bad um, very quickly. I mean, my health declined extremely quickly and I was like pretty not functional um, yeah. at a certain point. I think I was probably about, yeah, probably 20, 21 when this happened. And I mean, it wrecked me. Like it wrecked my physical health. It wrecked my mental health. I like, I was kind of, at this point, I was like, I, I, I just like, I had no idea how it happened, and it was so crazy because I just like, was like, I, I don't really see a way out of this. So I was like, I'm, I'm gonna die, <laughs> and I was like, it, it just took me by surprise because I was like on this upswing, you know, and mm-hmm. um, it just, it wrecked me, and uh, I really, I just thought I was gonna die. I was like, well, I guess it's like a matter of time if this is the way that things are going. And it wrecked my relationship, um, and he was like, you know, if you don't get help, we're going to break up. And I was like, okay, like, I'll get help. Uh, so I committed to getting help, and we still broke up at a Conor Obers show, so that was, like, great. Uh, oh, <laughs> I was like, yo, I know this is coming, so, like, maybe we should just do it now because it's just, like, <laughs> super appropriate venue for this. But, I, you know, it's getting better. Um, like, go, it was Things were kind of going back up, and uh, yeah, the relationship ended at that point. So at that point, yeah, I was probably 21. Okay. Um, and I, sorry, I want to, I, I kept wanting to say I don't mean to be glassing over the, or glazing over the um, eating disorder. You keep bringing it up, and I'm sorry, I haven't like dug, I don't, I don't, I don't know a whole lot about that, and I don't want to um, get out of my depth. But can you, can you kind of talk more about like what? if you feel comfortable with it, like you said it started very young and then it turned into full-on anorexia later on. What What is, I mean, what is dealing with an eating disorder like? Like what do you mentally, physically, like what, I don't know, what sort of, I don't know. I'm just so out of my depth that it's like, yeah, I, yeah, I, I feel I'll, like I'll, it's, it's a lot of like useful information for people that might be struggling. Yes, it is. I'm happy to share it because of that. And I used to be, like, way more vocal about recovery because, like, I knew that, like, so many other people had to be going through what I was going through. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, 10 years of that, you get a little resentful, too. So I was like, ah. But it's, like, it's good to talk about because I, I want everyone to know that there's, like, life beyond that. But, yeah, so when I was, like, 12, I mean, I was, like, a bigger person. Um, and so I was subject to some bullying about my weight and that just got to me. Um, and just seeing, you know, so I just started these behaviors, you know, everything, you know, just, um, the binge and restrict cycle. And, uh, and I feel like, you know, I'd been kind of coping with food since I was a kid, uh, probably three or four. I remember like seeing that connection with food in my body, um, and myself and it was, and I mean, uh, yeah, that's just something that I remember feeling when I was, like, four or five. Uh, and that's, I mean, you know, that's what led me to being, existing in a larger body, too. Um, and so it's just, it was really difficult for me because kids are not very sensitive about that. And also, you know, if your childhood is, like, difficult, food is a very accessible uh, comfort item. Totally, yeah. You know, when you're a kid. Yeah, and so... 
I, and I realized that much, much later, obviously. But, yeah, so when I'm 12, I start to restrict more. I start to uh, make myself throw up. I start to use diet pills, Adderall, et cetera, to not eat. Um, and this is kind of, I mean, it never stops, but I'm never facing any health consequences for it. Um, and, I've, you know, and then I think in high school, it probably was just, like, more just, like, straight binging because I gained a lot of weight. Um, and then there was a time when I was, I think I was about 17, I, like, read a Michael Pollan book. Uh, I don't know if you know him. He wrote The Omnivore's Dilemma and Cooked and a few other books. Um, I'm not about familiar. Food. Uh, great. He's, he wrote great books about food and, like, talked about, you know, how to source food more locally and shortening your food chain. And I was, like, pretty into that. I was, like, it just, I started to get more into, like, sustainability and um, cooking, and I was much larger, and I started to lose weight in a really healthy way. And I was, like, just I, all I did was just start cooking at home and, like, taking walks, and I lost a good amount of weight, probably, like, 60 pounds, um, mm -hmm. over a really solid amount. You know, this is, like, months and months, maybe even a year. Cool. And um, so it's, like, all healthy. I don't know. I might have my timeline right. It's 18-ish, you know, before I was 19. Um, and then I don't know what happened. I, I just, I got back into, like, I was, I was struggling with bulimia pretty badly. And it was, it was just, yeah, I mean, it was just so normal to me to, like, never keep down my food. And I, um, you know, after about, like, maybe a year or two, I was like, man, this is, like, so annoying that I'm doing this. It's, like, gross. And it's, like, it hurts me. And there are, there are health consequences to that for sure. Mm -hmm. They're pretty noticeable. After some time, I was, like, and I just, the fear of food had, like, been developing during that relapse pretty badly because I'd lost weight, you know. And so I'm, like, I can't, like, gain weight back. And I'm horrified of food so that I just, like, kind of stopped eating. And that's how it, I woke up one day and I was, you know, super thin and I was, I was extremely sick and I, you know, I'm not keeping a secret anymore because everyone can look at me and see that yeah. it's not okay. And I, I mean, you just lose the capacity, your mental health. I mean, I don't know. It's like, there's just no will to live. And I was trying to work and I was working two jobs at the time and one was shelving books at a library and it was a really physical job. I mean, the library was like 12 floors and uh -huh. it's like, I'm just, like, on the verge of passing out all the time. I can't stay awake. I'm freezing cold. It's winter at the time, like, during the height of this, and I, like, cannot leave my bed because I'm freezing. Um, like, getting in my car to go anywhere is, like, extremely difficult. And, yeah, my relationship's falling apart. My mom is, like, I'm, I was living with my parents at the time, and they're, like, super worried about me, and they're always fighting with me. And... Yeah, I remember, like, going to, to D.C. to see Fiona Apple. Uh, <laughs> I'm, like, walking around the city in the cold, and I'm, like, trying to, like, have a great time. And I'm, like, man, it's, like, what's the point of being in a city? I'm, like, horrified of food. I'm trying to go to these restaurants. I'm trying to enjoy my time in the city. And, like, I'm, it, just, it just took over every – I mean, I would say that, you know, 90% of my thoughts are about food and my body. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, there's no room for anything else. And it's – horrific I mean I, I was like and yeah it took me by total surprise and um yeah so it was just this culmination of 
a lifetime of having a terrible relationship with food in my body and and just that fear and I was like I guess yeah I just kind of resolved it as like the end in a way which is kind of grim but it's honest no totally I I I mean not I'm not in that that realm like it's I'm kind of out of my depths but like I know that that feeling of despair and I've danced with it a handful of times in my life where it's just like well, this is it. This is it, and that's fine. I don't fucking care. Like, right. uh, it's like it's everything just so fucking hard, and I don't see any way out of this. Exactly. Um. So, like, why doesn't it just fucking end already? Mm-hmm. And I <laughs> and, think it's it's like very comparable to any addiction too. I think like I've, the more you think you think about it, it's just this this compulsion and this pathology that. You know, I think if someone is addicted to an opiate and they don't have it, for example, 90% of their thoughts are going to be consumed by getting it. Totally. One, you know? I mean, it's so much about, um, I mean, whether it's escapism or, or like, it, it's rooted so much for a lot of people, at least for me, in those times of, like, this just in, inter, like, just self, like, hatred, just self-hatred. Uh-huh. And it's like, and it, oh, man, it. It's uh, it's so hard to see any sort of hope out of it because you're like the only the only thing I like about myself is that I'm like a fun drunk or that I like yep. right right now I'm I'm skinnier than I was how you know what I mean like I'm not trying yep. to appropriate that experience but like it is so that and it's oh man so many years and days days years months of my life were spent in the throes of that self loathing and I'm like yep. Um, and it's, what's amazing is looking at it from the other side and being like, oh my God, it didn't have to be like that. And it never has to be like that again. Yeah. Um, so relieving, right? It, it really is. And, and it's, it's such a, I mean, like the, the true, the saying of like, the great thing about rock bottom is like the only way you can go is up. It's like, it's like cliche and it, but like in that moment, you know, where I've been like, it's either like I stay here and I die or I figure out a way back. Yes. Um, and, and then it's like the painful road to recovery, which is, I don't know, is is its whole other thing. I want to, I want to talk about like, what did that look like? Was there an inciting incident? Was there like, like you, um, deciding to start the path towards recovery? Yeah, I mean, it was it was when my boyfriend was like, you need to get, I mean, I remember this, like, night perfectly because I was, like, I will, I would, I mean, I woke up every single night at, like, two or three in the morning because I was starving. <laughs> like, fucking hungry. Um, You can't sleep. And so I wake up, and he was staying the night that night, and um, I was just, like, sobbing, and he's, like, you know, like, he's just, like, people get angry. I mean, I think any, if you've ever loved someone with an addiction, like, you know, you can be compassionate to some extent, but at one at some point you just like just stop, you know, like just stop. And that's where he was, and he like carried me down the stairs into the kitchen. And um, and my mom, I mean, I was living with my parents. My mom was like awake, and she's like, "What's going on?" And like everyone is just like crying around me. I'm sobbing. I'm, like, I don't ever want to experience this again. I was like, I was so defeated. And I was also like, why can't I eat a bite of an apple? Like, what's wrong with me? I, like, I, I was so perplexed by this compulsion. Like, I, I did not know 
what to do. And I, I didn't obviously hate hurting the people around me, like the people who love me and who I love and just the, that feeling of losing them and losing myself. Um, and yeah, I was committed to that relationship. I wanted to be in it. And so if that was the, if it was an ultimatum, it was what motivated me to go to therapy. And his aunt found me a therapist who I could definitely credit to saving my life. Um, you know, and uh, shout out to the therapist office saving lives. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, totally. Even in the weeks where I'm like, I don't have a great therapy session. I'm like, man, this is kind of a waste of my money. It's like usually within a week or two that I'm like, man, she's great. I love her. Thank you so much for everything you do. Here's more money. Exactly. I was just on, I just went to a therapy before this and she was probably, I told her I was going to be on a podcast, so she'll probably listen to this. So shout out to all the therapists and my current one. Love them all. Yes, <laughs> really, they, really important habit that I've had doing, for like the past five years. Yeah, totally. They're doing the Lord's work. They really are. They really are. Um, and so you find this, this therapist um, and you start, like, what is... What sort of work did you personally have to do to get to get past that? If you're if you feel comfortable talking about, it? or like what? Because like I, I know the the change in my mindset had to go from being like like my internal dialogue had to go from you're a dumb piece of shit and nobody likes you being around or nobody likes being around you and everything you do is fuck it up like that. That was my internal dialogue to being like, hey, there's actually a lot of people that enjoy what you do and there's like you write songs that like people actually enjoy. You know what I mean? And like it was right, just right. like slowly allowing myself to be like to accept a fucking compliment you know what i mean uh-huh it, it's and permission you know totally it's, yeah it's it's, giving yourself that allowance <laughs> seriously it's so i mean so much of what yeah what i've i've been working on in the past few years since i've been in therapy it's been so much of like you're allowed to take a day off, dude. Like mm-hmm. giving myself permission. It's like, yeah, everybody else gets days off. I don't get days off because I'm a broke kid and I'm always going to be like, I'm never going to have enough money and blah, blah, blah. And like, I don't know. It's uh, it's all I got to do is work. I right. don't know. So, uh, but you're giving myself permission to be like, yeah, that guitar solo you just recorded is pretty badass. Like, yeah, like saying something nice about yourself. I mean. To- totally. Yeah. What? Is that what a lot of your work was rooted in, or were there were there other things? Um, yeah, or so has been rooted in. Initially, it was it was it was it starts with that permission. Like if like someone else gave me permission to eat, but in a very specific way, and so like that's that was the beginning. It's like I have to address this physical problem because I'm dying. My organs are failing. <laughs> like yeah. you know, like I'm not like I, I everything has gone to hell. My health is very poor. Um, so just getting that sort of permission. So like, uh, yeah, it started out just with these little things, like try this like protein powder or something, um, you know, and just getting, getting me excited about that, which I was like, I, before this, like I was like a foodie. I was like always going to new restaurants, spending a bunch of money on food. I'm like going to get local food I'm like interested in shortening my food chain and so I think just like re like discover rediscovering my passion for like cooking and food and like health um Mm -hmm. which was I mean this is so slow I mean I I wasn't without serious issues with eating until probably 2018 so that's like how old was I two years ago um 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, 25. So this is uh, four years. Yeah, four years, I would say that were, like, extremely difficult, which is, I mean, beyond defeating. And so it, when I started eating again, what happened is I developed, like, this thing called night eating syndrome, which is not uh, talked about at all. And I have a feeling a lot more people deal with this than will ever, like, maybe they don't even know. And so I... Um, yeah. And it's so I when I started eating again, my body was like, Hell well, yeah, here we go. First tell me what night what's night eating syndrome? Sorry, I need to know what that is. Yeah, so it's like it's basically what it sounds like. I would wake up in the middle of the night and have absolutely no control and I would just eat like so much food. I mean like thousands and thousands of calories. Um, oh, wow. and no control and this of course, leads to this horrible cycle of self-loathing and feeling very physically ill. Like I, I was, I felt like I was physically sick for so long, um, and I was. So, I mean, this period of time in my life was colored by desperation entirely. And I would say that for that first year, you know, I went from 95% of my thoughts uh, being about food in my body to maybe you know 80 or 75. So it's like, yeah, it it is better. It's still up, but like. It, it was just so hard. I mean, I, yeah, I was so, totally. so shame. There's a lot of shame in all of these behaviors, but there was a lot of shame in that. And I was obviously gaining weight quickly. My body is changing. I'm like, I just feel so sick uh, every single day because I have, and I have no control. And it, it being, I mean, I think anorexia is like very much rooted in control. It's absolute. It's the most control that, you know, like you can think about having. It's like, I can deny my body what it needs uh, day after day after day, and I'm in control. And then you lose that completely, and I was just, I was so desperate. Um, There was no clear way out of that. I mean, I don't know. I probably probably dealt with that for a little over a year. Um, Well, I wonder if the control, like... You, you're the tumultuous childhood and everything, and like, because a lot of I think my control issues come from uh, never having felt in control, um, right? As a kid, and so, and they they manifest in much different ways than than eating or whatnot. But um, like, I, was do you think that's where where that need for like that one thing you could control came from? Absolutely. I mean, there's. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and just like the like I like the way that the eating disorder developed, because like I was like, well, I can't be bulimic, so I'm just gonna stop eating or whatever. And so there's like this this like more clear thing, but it's like, where did that come from in the first place? Where did the eating disorder come from in the first place? And you know, I felt like I've always been coping with food. I've never had any control over my life, and and here I'm I'm becoming an adult, and I have more autonomy, but like still, what am I doing with my life? Um, you know, and I, yeah, I, it just came to a head, and I, yeah, I was still living with my parents, and this is when, I mean, it was, my uh, home life became increasingly difficult into my 20s, like, into my early 20s, I moved out when I was 21, I guess, um, and it was, I mean, it was just so bad, it was, I had no control over anything, and, uh, yeah, so that's, that's definitely what happened, and, yeah, so then, you know, I lost that again in recovery. I mean, over and over and over and over. But I saw it as, like, if you, like, it's it's perceived control. It's not real. So I had, mm-hmm. to, I had to see that. And then also, like, 
is it worth the sacrifice? Like, is it worth giving up control if I live? Um, and my therapist, you know, she would always say things to me and, and like, change my mind. <laughs> you know, she's like this, you know, basically, like, this isn't going to last forever. And it lasted a very long time, but it didn't last forever. So. Totally. Well, and that's, I mean, the, there's so much, um, you know, I, 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 like, have a difficulty or I, I don't feel super comfortable talking about recovery because my own, like, addiction and quitting was, you know, just, like, with drinking, it was, like, mm. a couple tries, and I was just, like, okay, I just don't really want this, you know, like, I, when I, once I did the math, and I was, like, okay, this is just, like, not worth everything, you know, it's not worth it, I just need to yeah. stop, because every, everything's better when I don't drink, so I'm just going to not drink, yeah. um, and so it was, like, really easy for me to stop, kind of, it sounds like with you and, like, opioids and whatnot. Um, uh-huh, yeah, absolutely, I can relate to that. And so, um, there, but, but it's, it is still such a, like, wrapping my head around, like, the loss of identity of Chuck, like, whiskey drinking Chuck, and the loss mm-hmm. of the, like, I used to love to time travel, where it's like, I'm stir crazy, and today just sucks, I'm going to go to the bar and get loaded, so tomorrow morning gets here faster, like, it's just yep. like, time travel, it's escapism, you know, um, right. And so, like, trying to deal with all the free time because I'm not hungover all the time and, and my evenings are now free. So, like, what the fuck do I do? Especially because, right. you're, like, you're still thinking about drinking or everything. Oh, absolutely. And so to, like, I, I don't know, like, the, the recovery thing or so much of it um, for me and, like, the strength of it all is the coming back to it, is the, like, it's like meditating is, like, when I do it, two weeks in a row and I'm just like, I feel fucking great. And then I don't meditate because I'm just like, I don't need to. And then a few days of not meditating. And it was like, things aren't as good. What's going on? And then you meditate again. You're like, oh, yeah. And, yep. like, and I think there's so much like, I don't know, our society demands perfection. And recovery is so not about perfection. Oh, no, no. That's a hard lesson to learn. To anyone who's recovered from anything, I mean, that is such a hard lesson to learn, but yeah, that's, yeah, if anyone takes anything away from that, it's like, that's the message is you're allowed to screw up, uh, and you will. So, uh, be right, like, just be right, you know, anticipate it and, and totally. show it, yourself grace. Show yourself grace and there's not, and it's not that it's a, um, like, not that you're giving yourself permission to just like, like relapse willy nilly or whatnot, um, you know. It's it's more of like you're giving yourself permission to fuck up because that's what human beings do. Absolutely, absolutely. And like who who fucks up and then like like picks themselves up off the floor like all stoked about recovery again the next day when they've been berated and yelled at and told they're a piece of shit. Like nobody. So like love yourself in those moments even if it feels impossible. Like show yourself some mercy and I think you know, it's it's easier said than done. I think we do it better for other people than we do for ourselves. But one hundred percent, I one hundred percent agree with you. Yeah, it's it's, it's so hard. <laughs> it I, it it is, and that's why it's a practice. That's why I love music so much. Is is it something that I will put so much time into for the entirety of my life, and I will never be as good as I want to be at it, or I'll never know everything there is to know about it. But it's something I will always be able to practice. Absolutely. And being kind to yourself and being compassionate towards yourself and others, that's also the same. Like, you're never going to be perfect at it because you're – because, like, 
because people suck and there's reasons to get angry, but right. forgiving yourself for those, you know what I mean? Like forgiving yourself, showing compassion, taking time to think about how you want to respond to a situation instead of just reacting instinctively. Um, Absolutely. And what's crazy is then you're in way more control than you ever were with the addiction or with the eating disorder or whatever. Like by surrendering yourself to the ability or being a, having the permission to fuck up and turning it into a practice of just trying to do better, you're in way more control of everything. Yep, and that's that that that's like that's real control, you know. <laughs> like, totally, not it's not the facade of control. control. Yeah, yep. yeah, totally. Yeah, and that's that. I mean, it's so it's such a hard lesson. Learned. I'm still so hard on myself about everything. I have really hard days, like at work. I mean, for everything, but I also like you know, it's 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 seeing like life as a continuum as a circle rather than some straight line which it's not um and yeah it's just feeding into that cycle in a positive way it pays back because it comes back around to you and uh yeah i i still try every day and i still you know i think recovery is a long road and i've i also yeah i mean i also like quit drinking too um for like the same reason where it's like it's not that hard for me but it's like this thing totally feeds these other things, and if I can eliminate the thing at the top of the hierarchy, then the things at the bottom will dissolve or or become other things, be better things, healthier things. And totally, um, I, I yeah. it's like I'm sick of being sad and out of shape. Well, right. you cut out drinking, and it makes both those categories better. Yeah, yeah. Like, like your I'm, I'm a net. You lose Seriously, weight. Like, you're more active. I'm a naturally depressed person. I deal with depression on a daily basis. Drinking a fuckload of alcohol, I've said this on a podcast before, but drinking all this like sad, unhappy juice every day just leads to me being sad and unhappy more. Like Right. I, I, it's uh <laughs> so that mask was easy to find out, but it it well, it wasn't easy to find out. It took a long time to figure that out actually. Oh, definitely. A very very long time. Yeah. But um and we can rationalize it all day long, but like I, I saw, we have a friend moving out of town and, you know, we saw a handful of us or we had a handful of people get together and everybody's drinking. And I'm just like, man, I kind of want to fucking get drunk with these guys. You know, like uh-huh. even I, I know all those things and I'm still in those, that, those moments like, yeah, but I kind of want to get drunk with, you know what I mean? So it's, right. it's, a, li- it's a lifetime worth of work. Absolutely, so, yes. It never goes away. It just never does. But you, you get better at being, you, you get better at actually being in control. You get better at making the right decision um, rather than, you know, making the wrong one. Or it's not, it's not right versus wrong. That's a bad way to put it. But you know what I mean because you're doing it. You're doing it every day. And I'm doing it every day too. And so, totally. yeah. Well, you get better at, um, it's like all the reasons to not drink keep mounting up. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. like like the evidence against it is just like more and more and more and more. And I'm not saying that I'm never going to drink again. I think there's a pretty good chance that I will again at some point. But it's like there's so much evidence to where to like why I why I'll never like be a drinker. Does that make yep. sense? Absolutely. Like, yeah. You just you you form you form your opinion. You know, you you're, you're just like I know too much now. I could never go back. And you're like how. How did I not see this before? Totally. And I'm I'm kind of like making the joke that like, okay, when Mitch McConnell, Donald Trump, like I'll make a list of like five to ten people. It's like when those fuckers die, I'll get shit housed. 
And then I'll be, I'll be so hungover the next day that I'll be like, I don't ever want to drink again. And then Donald Trump will die, and I'll be like, well, now i got to fucking get drunk. And, right. you know. <laughs> the celebratory drink. Yeah, I mean, oh, I, I did a year. I It was, like, during this time because I was like, well, if I drink, I'm more likely to, like, binge or whatever with food. And so it's like, okay, I'm going to stop drinking. And I stopped drinking for a year. Um and then, like, introduced it back into my life. And, well, it ha- I had a bad, I've had some bad experiences, like, long-term with alcohol since then. But, yeah, I mean, it just, like, reinforces that idea, too. It's like, oh, I actually don't drink in the healthiest of ways, and I'm just, like, not going to do this anymore. Totally. This is a net negative. And it, it works out for a lot of people around me and a lot of people around the world. And uh-huh. for me, it's a net negative. So I think I just got to accept It's like... I'm, uh, it's like we're getting to the age that, like, I saw a dude do a, like, I, I follow a lot of skateboarding accounts, and I, I just miss skateboarding. I used to do it so much as a kid, and yeah. just never been able to do it more, but, like, I, I, I saw a guy hard flip slash kick flip a, an eight stair. It's like, I, like, when I was a kid, you would have, like, just, like, it's not even possible, right. um, and I, I watched it happen, and it was, like, Oh, I'll never do that. Like having that realization, it's like I'm 33 years old. Like, oh, that's the thing that I'll just never do. Right. And you ha- you have to accept like, oh, being good at drinking is never something that I will be. Yep. Yep. And you I know, think, like, yeah. Uh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, it's so hard because it's in, it's socially ingrained into our culture, and I think I mean now is the hardest part for me because I think I was probably 22 or 20, yeah, ish when I stopped drinking for one year. Oh, wow. Um, Well, I was dating someone who was sober or at the time, like, he had epilepsy, so he didn't do any drugs or alcohol, so it was, like, nice. Nice change of pace for me and my romantic relationship. Uh, But, um, yeah, but it was, it's just, like, yeah, everyone is drinking around you. It's, like, very, very, very normal. It's not just normal to have, it's, like, normal for people to have one drink, two drinks after work every single day. It's normal for people to binge drink. These things that I'm, like, man, that is just not that healthy. And I just think a lot of people never even question it. And that's what makes drinking so particularly bad, in my opinion. And for me especially, it's like, oh, man, I don't drink in a healthy way at all. Yeah. Well, I I don't want to sit here and be the the beer police for too long, but it's like I had a friend pass away this year from uh, I, I believe it was liver failure. I, I don't know the exact reason, but it was like complications with his liver. And right. um, none of us, like I, I, he was a friend back home in Arizona that I, I would see like once a year. I, I didn't know that he had an alcohol problem. I had no idea. And like, and he just like, I just found out he died one day. And I, it was like, and I asked some people like, what what happened? And they're like, uh, he was, he's like, you know, he was just like low key, like doing shooters all day. Like he was just always kind of drinking. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, and, and it's like really get away with it. Yeah. People is like, I had no idea, zero idea whatsoever. And it, it's just like, and it's also acceptable enough that like in our society that like, it's, it just kind of happens all the time. It's, I don't know. It's, yeah, it really does. It's crazy. It really does. Yeah. It's, my dad uh, uh, died of liver failure and, I'm so um, sorry. Thank you. But uh, yeah, I think like that, that was also very eye opening for me because I was, yeah, it's probably 23, man. I like my years all messed up. I need a timeline. Um, But yeah, like four years, yeah, it was 2016, four years ago. 
And so, but yeah, it's just like, you know, he's kind of like a normal guy, like own a business and he was, I mean, he was 55. So not super, like super young, but, um, yeah, that's pretty young. It's though. pretty young. And you know, it's just, it's, it's pretty crazy because it's, it's totally acceptable. And, uh, a lot of people are living in that. And I feel, I feel a lot of compassion for those people because that's a lot of pain that you must be burying, you know, I mean, totally. And part of what my heart breaks and I'm not to be like sitting here preaching or whatever, because everybody's path is different, but it's like, what breaks my heart the most is that it's like, oh, your life could be so much better without it. If you could just somehow figure out a way to leave it behind yep. and, like, embrace, like, the good, beautiful parts of just being present and enjoying, like, that life is this thing that, like, exists for you to enjoy yep. um, and not for you to just draw constant pain from. Like, if you can find that switch and flip it, it just, God, it just makes such a difference. And it breaks my heart that, like, that being fucked up all the time seems to be the only option. Right, right. For for your whole life, basically, for some people, for my dad, and for so many other people. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I was angry for a long time at that person, but but you know, seeing that, you know, it, it's not their fault. You know, it is their responsibility, but whether or not they take it, you know, but it, it is not those people's fault. That totally, happening. and it's and I'm I'm not trying to make a light of like addiction or anything like that. It's just that there is like a, a real beautiful life and identity and existence for you on the other side if you can if you can find a way to like find that, you know. Absolutely, and I hope that more people do than don't. So totally. Um, back, so this is a long, <laughs> long. Uh, foray into sobriety and whatnot, but it's—I mean—mental health is something that's not talked about enough. Um, um, and uh, I don't know. I just want to be an advocate for everybody knowing or like trying to like accept the, all the tools that are out there to live your best and happiest life. And right, right, know, and just say like, "Hey, I did it, and uh, we both did it. Whatever, and like, you can do it too." And yeah, totally. So when, how do you get from being in Pittsburgh and um, you know dealing with uh, um, an eating disorder and recovering from that and trying to you know, like how do you get from there to being out in Los Alamos, New Mexico, in the wilderness for eight days and then back oh back in real life for six? What is what what does that journey look like? All right, so let's start. I guess. Uh... Yeah, so my dad passed away. I was in, like, a pretty healthy relationship, um, sober, wasn't drinking. I didn't really smoke any weed. And I'm, like, I'm putting my all into um, recovery. I have a job, and it is um, – I changed up. Like, I worked at a coffee shop, and I worked at a library, and then I was um, moved out on my own for the first time. So we're backing up, 2015 now. <laughs> I get a job because I – I'm trying to do a paleo diet because I'm I'm trying to like control my eating in a better way, I guess. And I download this app and this guy's like, you write pretty well. I'm, I have a blog at this time too, and it's about eating disorder recovery. Uh, the developer of the app called me because um, he's looking for feedback on his app and he's this French guy. And he's like, you have, um, you, English is your first language and you, you write better than I do. So would you be interested in working for me for five to 10 hours a week? 
And I'm like, hell yeah, it would be. Um, like, who gets a job as a writer? Like, <laughs> yeah, totally. So, especially Whoa. someone like finding you. I know. I was like, everyone's like, how'd you get into that? I'm like, I, I couldn't tell you, dude. Like, that was sheer luck. Um, and I was certainly down on my luck. So it was great timing, and I was pretty reinvigorated by this opportunity. And, um, you know, that turned in, I was also, like, dog-sitting, like, full-time for someone kind of living in their house. So I was, like, changing things, but I was working fully, like, remotely. Um, you know, I didn't have to show up anywhere anymore. And I was like, oh, okay, great. Cool. I'm, like, 22. I'm, like, working fully remotely. I have this a lot is in of, Pittsburgh? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, uh, yeah, then I, like, met the guy I dated at the time, and it was it was just an awesome relationship. He's a great guy. Uh, at the, I mean, whenever we met each other and stuff, he's not not great. Good person all around still to this day. And, um, <laughs> um, yeah, so, like, things are pretty nice. And, I like, I, I was working more than five to ten hours a week eventually for this person. I had I, – it gets around. I'm doing this, so I'm – also doing social media and stuff for the the gym I go to, and like I'm walking a bunch of other people's dogs because Pittsburgh is like has that small town vibe, and I just you know I knew a lot of people I grew up there, so totally. I'm kind of networking a lot, and I'm also doing like nutritional counseling, I'm writing blogs, I'm doing social media, like I'm I have a lot of responsibilities at my job, and I'm like really happy, and a lot of people are like you're changing my life because you're helping me, like, get my autoimmune issues under control or whatever it is why they're doing the paleo diet. Um, and mm-hmm. I felt like I, I had a lot of meaning in my life. I mean, it was pretty profound, actually. And I made this amazing online community that way. And I just, I was just stoked on it. I mean, there was this, like, um, there was a lesson to be learned because I was definitely still in recovery and I was definitely still uh, abusing food sometimes and having a difficult time with that. Um, but I had a lot of support in my relationship and I was super honest about what I was struggling with and he was super understanding and helped me out a lot there. Um, and I, you know, saw, I was like, I can still help people even if I'm not perfect myself. And there's like so much beauty. There's guilt in that, but there's more beauty than guilt in that. Um, mm-hmm. Great lesson for me to learn. So I'm very fulfilled professionally, and so I start then thinking about I'm no longer so I the person I was dog sitting for like full time moved, and so it's like man I could I could go wherever I want because I work on my computer, and so I started looking at van dwellers on Reddit, and I'm like, huh, this would be a good time, and this is 2016, and so my dad passes away that year, my relationship starts to feel really heavy because I'm a intense person and this person was so sweet but I was like man I like ruined this person's life a little uh, not like I'm not trying to be mean to myself but I was like man he has a lot on his plate and it's just you know it's just kind of naturally sort of shifting into a different type of relationship and I'm thinking about ending it um and I do and it was amicable and we went our separate ways and then my life fell apart a little again. <laughs> but what I did, uh, oh, how, what's the what's the progression of this? So 2016 comes around. What I, I broke up with, my dad died. I broke up with my boyfriend. I bought a ticket to Austin City Limits. And um, I was like, I don't think I'm going to come home from this. So I start buying all these plane tickets because I don't have a car at the time. <laughs> 
And I'm like, I'm going to go visit a bunch of people. I'm going to see which place I like, and I'm going to stay there. So I start selling everything I have. Like, I'm like, I'm going to get down to one suitcase. I'm going to be ready to move across the country on a plane. And um, <laughs> so I was going to, like, uh, Austin to Denver, Seattle, L.A. And then I had a return ticket, too. Um and so I'm waiting because this is like probably spring and then the summer comes and I, 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 I don't really know what triggered this, but I had like a bad manic episode where I kind of stopped sleeping and I was, I mean, this is like, oh man, my life is like going good. I'm making moves and here we go. <laughs> this thing yeah. is like, it takes me by surprise. Like I'm not sleeping. And I mean, like you said earlier, if you have a lot of time, what you want to do is start drinking because, uh. What else is there to do if you only sleep every two days? Um, so I'm yeah. drinking a lot, and I'm wasting a lot of money, and I'm single and dating a lot, um, and I don't know, just kind of being super self-destructive and super selfish, and um, I think, yeah, manic episodes, are. I guess they're pretty misunderstood. I don't, I don't know if a lot of people know what it's like, um, but it's like, you are like very hyper aware of things and you have a lot of rapid thoughts and like there's a lot of elation that's happening inside you like this this massive overproduction of serotonin but it's also this energy that like matched up with like the depression that comes along with that episode mm-hmm. is very volatile i mean i felt again like i was going to die and i was like man i really thought <laughs> I had, like, gone over this kind of stuff, um, and I was really scared that I, like, wasn't going to go and do what I was going to do, and um, I was just, and I lived alone, too, and so it's just, like, I had no accountability. I I didn't really know how to explain what was going on in my brain to people, because for one, it was mostly, like, wow, I'm so happy. I'm never happy. Like, I've never been happy. I'm, like, this is dope. Um, (laughs) Like, I'm just so social. Like, I'm meeting all these people. Like, I'm on Instagram. Like, I'm getting coffee with all these. I might have met Dana during this time. (laughs) Um, Uh Like, getting coffee with all these people. And, like, I just feel so, like, I don't know. I'm just stoked. Um, I went on this ridiculous first date with someone I just met, like, 15 minutes before. And, we went to we we went on a road trip for a week. I mean, like things were like absolutely insane. We like went to Rocky Mountain and we went to um, Yellowstone and the Tetons and we drove back. Like I just met this person 15 minutes before we started packing our bags. Like I mean, it was, it was like it was insane. But I was also like I know there was like I was taking a lot of risks, but I was also I was living a lot of life and I was. There was a lot of good that came from that, but um, that road trip, I, I, I started to come back down from things, and I was sleeping better again, um, which was great, and so that's probably late August, and then my lease ends, and I'm like, you know, I'm getting ready to go. I'm leaving in October, um, and then that road trip also, re- I was like so inspired. I was like, man, I'm going out west, and like, I'm definitely not coming back. That was what I knew is when I took that road trip. Um, with a stranger, you know, it was uh-huh. it was just the craziest experience ever, and it was it was amazing. It was so 
cool. It's like a weird social experiment uh, that if there were, if it weren't so dangerous to like you know get in a car with a stranger, I would recommend it to anyone. Um, but <laughs> yeah, so then I, yeah, I went to Austin and um, then I went to Denver and my friend Jenica, who I went on that road trip with, uh, and she picked me up and we moved to Durango. Um, oh yeah, and that, that was. Durango. That was kind of that, uh, and so it was my first time living out west, and I was still working online, and um, yeah, that time was the time was really awesome because I I met so I met like two of my absolute best friends to this day in Durango. Um, I had another really good friend of mine. I've been friends with her for the past you know fifteen years now. Maybe uh, she moved out to Durango too. So there's just like. I had this community there, like, immediately. And we lived mm-hmm. in this great house, and it was right downtown, and I was outside on the weekends. And I was like, okay, this is living. Like, I got out of the city, and, uh, yeah, I just started to find myself in a new light again. Totally. And so this is where you start doing more outdoor stuff. Uh, what are you, And you're working remotely for the same company that you're, you're writing? Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, and so, yeah, so living in Durango, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, keep going, yeah. Oh, then, so, yeah, the, the progression then is that, what are, what's happening? Oh, so I'm, I, uh, another per- person, I mean, it's always somebody, I'm involved, I met someone three nights before I left uh, Pittsburgh, he was moving to California, I was moving to Colorado, I was like, I'll probably never see this person again. Um, but when we both move, you know, we continue to talk and we continue to develop a relationship. Um, so about a year later, then I moved to California with him um, okay. near Santa Cruz. And I was like, I'm going to go back to school, which I'd gone to like community college, like done one semester, which is like enough for me. You know, that's like enough for a year or two. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm just like, oh, I should go do this again. Because I, I don't know. My job had changed a little at that point, And I was also broke. And I was like, I need to figure out how to, like, actually save money. I need, like, something different in my life. And, um, man, life fell apart pretty quick. Oh, my gosh. It's, like, such a funny theme. <laughs> life fell apart quickly yet again in the year of 2017 when I moved out there, um, I, he was in grad school, and I was trying to go to school, and I, like, wasn't working a lot, and neither was he. You know, we're both doing – and we're living, you know, basically in the Bay Area, um, mm-hmm. like, north of Santa Cruz, commuting to, like, Palo Alto, you know, Silicon Valley. I mean, it's very expensive there, and totally. there's just – and then we're just trying to develop this relationship, and it's, like – I mean, it's so weird to, like, move in with someone you've hung out with three times. Um, yeah, I can't and it just, that. It like didn't. It just was not great, and um, yeah. So he developed a drug addiction, uh, and it oh, was wow. it was pretty rough. Um, and I at that point in my life, I mean, I had run out of being. I I wanted to be compassionate. I wanted to like help, but I mean, I've been burned quite a few times, obviously before. And I was just so hurt. I was so betrayed. And I, I was just constant. I was living in anger, you know. And I I left, and I moved in with a great friend. 
um, Royal Study Yosemite in June Lake, California. And mm-hmm. she just kind of built me back up. Like, I could never repay her. I mean, just like a great person, Morgan. Shout out to Morgan. Um, and we just, you know, we went to the gym every day and we were like doing a lot of yoga, eating really healthy. And um, she worked at Yosemite. She was, she's a trail worker mm-hmm. still. And all my friends were trail workers. Jenica is trail worker. And, uh, a lot of people I met in Durango were trail workers. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go do this thing. So that was kind of when things switched over for me. So in 2018, I joined the Conservation Corps. Um, with, oh, cool. Yeah, American Conservation Experience. And I moved back to Santa Cruz and then moved to South Lake Tahoe. And that was my first season doing trail. Well, I did um, forest spinning, actually. So I was on a chainsaw crew and cut down trees uh, pretty much the whole time. So what was the, I mean, had you ever held, sorry. uh, Oh, no. Have you, like, what is the training that goes into being on a trail crew? Like, had you ever been outdoors a whole lot? Like, um you know, have you ever used a chainsaw before this point? Like, tell me no. a little bit about, like, the details of, like, the nitty-gritty of getting into this profession. Yeah, so the Conservation Corps is a really great place to start. And I always, like, people are always like, how do you do what you do? And it's hard now because um, the Conservation Corps, like, you have to be under 26. And sometimes it's, like, on a case-by-case basis if they will accept you. Because I, I had people around who were, a little older, you know, 26 to 30, which was great because, I mean, I was 25 at the time, so I was like, you know, it's it's nice when it's not all Um, 18-year-olds. But so the Conservation Corps, though, I mean, it's you apply like a job, but there's you do not have to have any experience. It's really, um, it's considered a volunteer position, so you do not get paid well. You are not compensated okay. well at all. Uh, you in some instances, and so in this instance, like I'm like my life kind of fell apart, and I'm like living in a hole in somebody's wall. It was a nice hole, but like it was a hole, literally. Yeah. And um, <laughs> and I was like, I need to get back on my feet, and I don't really have a lot of money. And so I found the core, and they were they provided housing and they provided food. And I was like, okay, so if I'm not making that much money, this is no big deal. At least I have a place to be for the next six months. Um, yeah. And it's experience. And so I also saw the path. Like, I knew a lot of people who'd done this. All, all, everyone I know got their start in the Conservation Corps, and that's how you end up on a professional trail crew because you need to have experience in order to get those jobs with the federal government, which is mm-hmm. – I mean, there's private job, trail work jobs as well, but a ton of them are through the federal government – um, so you don't have to have any experience to join the Corps. They'll teach you everything you need to know. So I did like my wilderness first aid and CPR there. And then I did my S212, uh, chainsaw training, uh, which is like what you would get, like if you're doing wildland fire chainsaw mm-hmm. training. So you're felling trees. Um, and then I was, and then they just take you out into the field. Um, so you don't have to have any experience. I thought I was fit enough because I was like always at the gym doing yoga. I was doing yoga I was lifting weights I'm swimming I'm hiking and I get there and I was like <laughs> I'm not in shape somehow um <laughs> like man that kicked my ass so hard like the first three or four weeks that I was out in the field but I fell in love with it and I mean that was 
maybe the first time in my whole life where I just showed up somewhere every day and like felt like I could be myself a hundred percent of the time. And I, I mean, it, it was just so relieving. I, that's the best word I can think of. This is exactly the time when my eating problems went away. I like didn't think really? about food at all anymore. And I, and that was, that might've been the most relieving part. Um, <laughs> Because, you know, food was fuel. I, I'm, you know, out there just, like, hauling a chainsaw on my back up a hill, like, for miles per day <laughs> and using it all day. Like, it's in my hands. It's this 35-pound machine. And I'm getting, like, so strong. And my body is, like, I'm just, like, seeing movement in a whole new light. I'm seeing my body in a whole new light. I'm seeing food in a whole new light. And I'm also eating meals with people every night. And I... I was surrounded by, like, some of the best friends I've ever made in my life. Um, totally. And I love well, the work. Yeah, well, what's really interesting is a handful of things um, that come to mind is, like, one, you, in a situation like that, your relationship with food completely has to change because it's fuel. Like, it's purely, yeah. like, talking to my brother about the PCT, he just, like, he he can sit there and like add calories in his head for the day just based on because he just did it for five and a half months pretty much. Absolutely. Um, and it's and it's like, um, I don't know. It's so interesting that it was a a thing that you, as soon as it came down or it turned into like this is a tool, no longer a vice. Yep. Yep. It's like oh okay now now like these this isn't an issue anymore because it's a tool for me to another tool just like the chainsaw for me to be able to do my job exactly exactly and and also and sharing meals with people too because like i grew up in a household where like we didn't really sit down to eat dinner all the time like every once in a while but that was just never valuable and like i it's like silly but like it's and like maybe it just sounds like a wholesome thing to do but i i really think it could like change the course of a child's life <laughs> uh, just to feel like you you know food is a connector it's like it's a connective tissue to us and the rest of the world it's, it's a part of culture it's like this beautiful thing and I had never really known that before um, you know I lived by myself uh, quite a bit in my 20s like my early 20s mm -hmm. and um, I, I, yeah I just I just never saw that like eating alone sucks it's kind of depressing so um, I, I, got, I, I love I love that that's, uh, um, that was one of the, the community around food. It, it just changes the narrative. It's like, yeah. it's, the, it's the same thing. I mean, it's like the, the thing you were abusing is now a thing that you're enjoying and building community around. Right. It's, uh, it's, so, it's so wild to me that like, um, like personally I've struggled in the past with um, – like shame around like sexual shame and pornography and everything like that just right. based on like growing up Mormon and whatnot and like my relationship is and it's, it's something I'm always working with or whatnot but it's always the best and the healthiest when it's when shame is removed from it Absolutely. you know when it's it's so much more about um connection and feeling and and I, I don't know it's a but it's the same thing that could be a really unhealthy damaging um, activity, I guess, or you know what I mean, like the, yeah, and, yeah. And the ingredient is is like shame or like self-loathing or, um, you know, it's it's interesting. 
That's exactly. Um, I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. Like shame is like the antithesis of connection in in a way, in so many ways for me. Um, and I totally. think like, yeah, I think there's like a few components of like knowing other like it's yes yeah, that that connection um, and like knowing other people feel that way too. It's like oh, I'm not alone in this feeling. And uh, totally. yeah, just breaking that down. It's like, why do I feel shame? Because I struggle with shame surrounding so many things, and like, it's uh, like top five least favorite emotions. Uh, top three, I mean, the worst. Because yeah, <laughs> I can be yeah. n- now, I can be sad and like be healthy with my sadness. Like I figured yeah. out how to like, because it's like, like shame isn't. I don't know. It's like it's it's like a in like an impure emotion in a way. I don't know how to put it, but like sad can be sad is okay. All of these emotions are okay, whether or not you you or society says it's okay. Especially as a, like a man, I was only ever allowed to be angry. Right. But like, there's any number of feelings that and emotions that like are okay if your relationship with them are correct. Shame, I don't I don't believe it it exists. Nope, you're like, you're, so, you're spot on. And it's like, I mean, maybe giving guilt's a little different. Shame is like, yeah, I feel like that's a component of guilt in a way. Like, it's so it's so unproductive. It's like, why does this even exist? Totally. And it doesn't feel impure. Yeah, I, and I, um, I mean, when, the times I'm able to to think about things from a different angle and not shameful, it's like, or I can think back on the times that like. I was acting out of shame and I'm like, oh man, that's, that's cute. And it's like your ego wanting to be accepted and not wanting to be kicked out of the tribe or like, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's all these things that are really sad and cut back to like he's being a scared child. And you're now like, um, I don't know, looking back, I'm like, oh, you've got to still look back with compassion, but also you poor thing. I wish you weren't so, I wish you didn't feel so bad about playing with yourself. You Fifteen-year-old kid, right? Like it's Um, okay and it's normal, you know. Totally, yeah. That's that's so hard to deal with. I'm like, yeah, I really shame is like showing up as like the the. It's not even showing up as the smallest version of yourself. It's something totally normal and real and okay that you could see in a different light, like reducing you to the smallest version of yourself and you like towering. And it's like. Yeah, it's it's real bad. I hate that shit. <laughs> and it's and it's never based in it's never based in anything actually real or happening. Nope, and that's like the hardest part. It's like, oh my god, why is this feeling inhabiting my body right now? Like, I don't even know where it came from. Yeah, it's oh man, that's it's just the worst. Another, I mean, that but I I love that you're like that your relationship around it around food changed at this time because it's, I mean it's almost like a perfect example of like you know you need food to survive yes you can abuse food there are mm-hmm. there are unhealthy ways to like to, there's an there are unhealthy relationships to have with food or with alcohol or with substance or whatnot and like if I were able to drink in a way that it was just fun and jolly and didn't get me sad and shameful and blah 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 I would probably still be drinking yep. but <laughs> But you throw in the ingredients of, like, shame or um, any number of things or or drinking to, like, get through the day or instead of, like, as a celebration, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and then it turns into, like, a a rough night that you got to make some apologies the next day. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, and that that's a huge part of it too. It's like the it's like you're hurting somebody else, or, or you're distracted. You're just you're just not present. It strips you away from the present moment, and like, and other people notice, and and you're hurting because of it. And yeah, totally. that sucks. That sucks. But well, yeah. And, and, Another thing I kind of want to point out, and this might be me trying to draw, connect the dots that don't exist, but um, you, when, when, like, let's go back to when you got the um, the first freelance writing job. Mm-hmm. That was that was like while you were doing really well. It sounded like you were you were first like on this new scary road, and this thing thing popped up to re reinforce like. Hey, you're doing the right thing. Hey, you like here's a here's an opportunity for you. And then, you know, it's like as as we, um, my buddy Casey Kawaguchi, who was on episode two of this show, um, saying life rewards the risk taker. You know, life rewards yeah. those out trying to to be better or to get to the next thing. You know, instead of yeah. just you know getting drunk at the same bar each night or 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 overeating or not eating at all. You know, it's a mm-hmm. uh, um, I don't know. I think it's like there's a reason why that that person reached out to you and gave you that writing job. But, you know, there's a reason why you ended up in Durango, yeah. and and there's a reason why like California didn't didn't work out. And I'm sure there's a, a ton of reasons why. But it's like you the times that you're following your truth. It sounds like the world or the universe is kind of like helping throw that path out in front of you and just kind of nudging you along. Absolutely. And that's what I, I look back on that. And I, I think of it, I mean, serendipitous feels like the word to describe it. But I, I guess, like, also due to some unconscious and conscious forms of manifestation, it's like, I want this, and I'm going to put it out of the universe that I want it. And I'm going to follow that, even if it's not necessarily fruitful from the beginning. And I am going to be as opportunistic as possible. And I look back on a lot of the times that we're talking about right now, and I just think of it as, like, these times of magic and and growth and, like, riding that wave that comes once you, you paddle out, you know, and you, you take that step and then you catch it and you're like, you can take a breath again. And that totally. feels so good. And, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I feel like, yeah, 2020 has been, like, the worst year ever. It's been so hard. I'm just like, yeah, I'm ready to get, I'm ready to get to that point again for sure. So, like, yeah, like talking about it, it's like, wow, I, I could have that again. I could have that. <laughs> well, it's because you, I mean, you simultaneously have had it in the, or you, I don't know, you you do have it, like right, right. now. I, I had a thought yesterday, it's like, in every, like, this is might be a little hippy-dippy, but I don't, you know, I don't even know who listens to the show. So, I love shout out to everyone listening to the show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, like, is yesterday I was thinking, um, as far it's like every you're never going to relive a single moment. Like you're right. never going to be able to relive that moment that you're currently in this moment that I'm currently in. So in a way, you're being born and dying at every moment. Yeah. You're constantly being born and dying, and constantly born and dying, and you're constantly in this cycle. And so, like, if you can figure out how to be present and in the moment, um, that's a way that like to be sure that like when you do die later on like you're going to be present in there and you know what I mean does yeah it's like and you're not afraid of it or worried about like the things you didn't do or whatnot because you're just in that moment and all you've done is all along is is been born and die 
Yeah, I mean, and I totally get that. And it's, I don't know, really freeing, especially if you're struggling with, like, so much of my problems with I, with depression, addiction, just all a lot of my problems boil down to, like, insecurity in identity. Yes. And Absolutely. when you're able to just be like, oh, this is, it's all temporary. And not, like identity is all just made up bullshit. Like whiskey drinking Chuck was just a thing I did to get people to come to my shows in my 20s. And yes. Then, you know what I mean? And now I'm yeah. in my 30s and, and it's like, okay, maybe like it's, David Bowie was able to have tons of personas. Why are you not able to? You know, like your identity uh-huh. is not real. It's not set in stone. I know, and that's so freeing, right? Like, I, totally. I, I mean, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at now, because, like, I, I feel like, like, you know, life has, uh, oh, this year, what a time to be alive. But, like, yeah, it's like, I was, like, at a certain point, well, I think, you know, when I went to the core when I was in ACE, I think, like, what we were saying before is, like, you, you get comfortable feeling sad. Like, that was the first time in my life where I was, like, oh, man, I feel sad today. This is great. Like, I'm going to like take advantage of this feeling because it's like I am a human being and that is so great and this is not going to last. I don't know if it, I might be sad tomorrow and that's fine. I might not be and that's also fine. I'm going to exist in this moment and do whatever I want to do that's going to make me feel better. Um, I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to be real about it. I'm going to accept it fully and I, always easier said than done but that realization like for the first time being able to feel sad without like being like, man, this is the end for me. <laughs> like, this is going to turn into uh, whatever behavior I'm going to cope in a bad way. Um, or that this is forever. Right. That's like the worst one. And I feel like, why do we always think that? It's like, it's never been forever. <laughs> so, yeah. No, and totally. The, the pre- like, 2022 has really solidified for me that, like, being in the present moment might be one of the most worthwhile pursuits of being a human being on planet earth if not the most totally well i mean yeah it it is i don't think that there is a um much better pursuit and i and i think what's funny is you know it, it's all hippy dippy to talk about or you know being present or whatnot or it's it's i don't know it's it's not wasn't super present being present wasn't super present in my mormon upbringing except right. that it was, except it's what it's all about and what it's always been about. It's like, and that's what being good at golf is about, is that, you know, the one swing that you have that day that's, like, perfect, and, like, that was that was that moment that everything lined up and you were present. And but You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's like everything about, I mean, life, I don't even know how to put it, like, all the things that we pursue as human beings is that you know or seeing other people that are in that moment whether it's like an olympic sprinter or a um i don't know it's the great british baking show and somebody's like i love it (laughs) you you know what i mean like it's it's all of these things that we're like and and we talk about it as like these market like it's it's um like whether it's it's like sellable or marketable or blah blah blah, but it's it's really just like no, we're all attracted to to excellence and to uh-huh. someone I don't know. 
I'm kind of ranting right now. But. No, that that makes so much sense. I mean, like, let's look back at all the times in our life that felt victorious or, or just where we were, like, on cloud nine. And it's like, yeah, we can't be present 24 hours a day. It's like, I'll look at this external world that we're in. And this is, I mean, this is what attracts me to being in the outdoors and especially being in the back country is, like, I mean, coming back to the real world is real hard for me because <laughs> I'm not a present person here. <laughs> like, it's it's uh-huh. hard because the world isn't made for us to be present. We have to, Yeah, we have to seek those moments out, and we often have to seek them out uh, in moments of pretty intense discomfort or failure or, uh, you know, climbing a mountain. I mean, the whole thing sucks. Like, I curse my, my whole way up, and, uh, you know, I do it all the time. It's like, it's not that... But it's just like there's this physical component that never gets any easier. Um, but you know what the reward is. And it's even if it's just one minute of that total presence and that total elation, like I think we're all on that same path. And we can get there in so many ways, doing any activity with in any setting if we know how to tap into that. And that's like the best thing. Like it, it exists within us. And that's, totally. like, very comforting, especially as someone who's very transient. It's like, I move with me no matter where I go. And that was really hard sometimes. I'm like, God yeah. damn it, why did I have to come along? But uh, now I'm, like, pretty stoked on it. Yeah, well, it, that full circle brings it back to the, the like, not – if you can somehow ex- figure out how to exist in the world without just constantly hating yourself – yeah. It makes everything easier because there's no way you can exist in the world without being around yourself. Right. You know and what I mean? Like, it's, it's yeah. Like, and it's it's all just like really simple, but also very complex. I know. And, right? <laughs> oh man, I I really I really dig like your story is just bringing up a lot of um I don't know a lot of points in for that is like relating to points in my life in the past and currently where it's it's just a, a necessary reminder of like everything is a practice. You know, you're never going to be perfect, but nope. like that, that daily strive to being better or having a better relationship with it. Or it's like, I'm not going to lose my shit driving down the street the way I did yesterday today. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, exactly. I, I, I'm not going to honk 10 times at the cab that just <laughs> pulled me or that just cut me off. Like, right. <laughs> it's a, uh, you know, and then also sometimes being like, no, I'm going to drive like an asshole because that's how you get around in New York City. But as soon as I get Absolutely. out of New York City, everybody's <laughs> like, this guy's an asshole. Um, <laughs> right. It's that perspective. Like, we have to we have to constantly be willing to change it in that way. Totally. Well, I don't, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I wanted to ask a couple. Uh, you know, we've been kind of through the gamut of it, but uh, one is, can you, do you have any, like, I mean, we haven't even dug really into like being in the backcountry or anything like that. Um, but do you, like, do you have any rules for like the road or for the backcountry or the travel? Like, like anything that you're just like, this is, I don't care what happens, but this is, I don't know, this is like a constant for me or, um, yeah, I don't know. Yes, I do. Um, cause I've been thinking about it. <laughs> uh, what I think is, like, the thing that really keeps me grounded and that keeps me liking myself, uh, when it, even when it's very hard to like myself, is um, I would tell people, like, to honor your duality, which, like, 
for me, um, you know, I like I come from the city. It's like my whole life was vintage clothes and music festivals and like mm-hmm. I mean I like just and like my whole past my whole life and like I still have that persona like you know I'm still like dressing the way I did in the sixth grade with like band t-shirts and yeah, totally. like denim jackets and I still just like listen to sad girl music constantly and I still you know care about all of these things I used to care about and when I started to get into this lifestyle and outdoors I was like I have to silence that part of myself that part of myself doesn't exist here um, and living without it wasn't good. It's, that's not, like, that's not what being authentic looked like to me. Um, and I, I, this is rare because I've met way more people who are accepting of all parts of who I am uh, in this realm of the universe in my little trail bubble. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, some people will be like, you know, you, you, these two things are mutually exclusive, like skincare and the backcountry. And like, I'm gonna, I'm definitely gonna do my skincare no matter where I'm at. <laughs> people are like, you know, I don't know what that, what that threat is to people who like hate it. You know, it's like you have to be super rugged and dirty and all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't think so. You know, you have to be you, um, because again, you go with you wherever you go. And uh, getting rid of those parts of yourself is just not doing your whole self justice. And the people who are supposed to like you are going to like you way more when you are all parts of you um, where none of us are singular. Uh, most things aren't mutually exclusive in terms of personality uh, and interest. And yeah, I just see, uh, I've seen a lot of that and I've, I've seen a lot of my friends struggle with that. And I've also seen a lot of them come to that conclusion on their own and, and be more authentic because of it. And yeah, that's what I like to tell people. Totally. You are, I mean, you, yeah, you are every version of yourself at all times. And I mean, accept your duality. I love that. I think that's such a, that's that's such a powerful thing to, to be able to do, especially, um, you know, if, if you were like, even still struggling with self, um, self-loathing is like accepting that there are times in which you do like yourself yes you know like that that's the first step towards like having more times that you like yourself um i i think and duality is just the nature of the the reality that we live in so yep um, everyone and everything there are two sides to it all at least yeah totally man i really really dig that um do you have a a story of of like a, a time where you're like I thought that um, you know you guys were in the backcountry like you thought that you were gonna be like things were gonna get really really bad and then they ended up working out or a time where I don't know like like you just felt like something magical like when when the guy came the French guy came out of nowhere and offered you a job as a writer like I, I don't know where the universe kind of just was like oh here's here's that bridge for you you need to cross this creek um here it is like yeah definitely i have a, i have a good story and i, I kind of has a little bit of everything um last year i worked in southeast utah like out near moab mm-hmm. um and a lot of our work was on a river uh so i had to like paddle down the river in these boats like and we went on a 12-day trip i think it was like over 80 miles um oh, wow. I mean, I was an amateur boater, and uh, I think it, yeah, some people pick it up really naturally. I did not pick it up naturally. Okay. 
I also have horrible anxiety. I mean, I, I don't think I breathe for days. But um, really, and these, these boats weigh like a thousand plus pounds. We have chainsaws and like herbicide on them. I mean, and like food. And there's like 10 plus, I don't even know how many people, 10 plus people. Um, for, for a 12-day trip, like rations yeah. and everything like that. Yeah, that's a lot of weight. It's a huge load, and, the, and the, then the human beings, too, and, like, it was, I mean, I was so nervous, and, like, part of me, and this was interesting, because I was, like, part of me knew everything was going to go right, and I, like, don't, I wasn't used to feeling that way, um, which is great, because I was, like, I have to hold on to something, and, like, a lot of people were really confident in me, and my, I'm, one of my best friends was there with me, and we were leading this together, and this was, I mean, we had worked together the previous season, and she came to work with me again, Jackie, um, mm-hmm. truly an angel, one of the best friends in the world, and I was just so glad that she was there, but anyway, uh, you know, this trip was, like, the definition of the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, because it's this, I mean, an 80-mile river trip, it's like, and the San Juan River, River. the San Juan River, okay, cool. Yeah, so from Mexican Hat down to, like, where Glen Canyon begins, basically. And it was, I mean, it's, oh, yeah. these, it's like the epitome of the canyon country. It's, it's as backcountry as it gets. I mean, you're in, like, a thousand-foot-deep canyon. <laughs> or maybe not yeah, a thousand-foot. Yeah. I think it is a thousand-foot at the, at the highest. And, I mean, you know, we're just we're exploring these canyons that, like, you know, who there's no other way to get to them besides from the water and you know we're we're having these great times but there's these really hard days where I'm going through rapids for the first time and like I'll just never forget like accidentally running into this wall that had this like cliff hanging over it uh it was like it could have it was it almost hit everyone in the back of my boat's heads and like I was mortified because I just like fucked up so badly you know and they I mean they were laughing so hard you know they're like they're making a joke about it five minutes later and I'm like guys don't that's not going to be funny for like at least a few weeks so if you could just not bring it up (laughs) not to me they're like they think it's the funniest thing I'm like y'all are crazy but that's like that was that sort of immediate relief from me I was like these people like they're not like they still like me like they still they and they're just like they're boosting my ego so much after this. They're like, You're our favorite like they're just like loving me and I'm like I was like so anxious and like so upset. Like I was waiting for lunch all day so I could like dive into a bush and go cry for an hour. But like these people just like loved me through this horrible moment that like could have really, really, really hurt them. Um and they just didn't see it the way that I saw it and I was like wow, that's very powerful to me. And then my best friend, Jackie, you know, she comes over to me when I get off the boat because she sees it immediately. And she's like, you know, and she's like crushing it. I mean, this girl never boated before either. And she's just going through the rapids like it's nothing. And I'm like, wow, why can't I do that? But um, like also, like I was like going through all these emotions. I'm like, you know what? I don't feel like jealous of her right now. I'm like so happy that she's doing that because like I love her and she's here like loving me again in spite of what I just did and like just like that self-loathing that was about to wash over me in that moment and that almost did like I just I don't know it it it, I all of those things stopped that in its tracks and um (laughs) yeah that that trip just like that was the one of the worst days but uh after that you know just being out 
in those canyons. Um, every night, all of that just went away because it was just the most beautiful thing. And I was, I, I felt so lucky that I could see that river the way I saw it um, and share that with so many people who mean so much to me. And I will just never, ever forget that. And uh, yeah, I just didn't spiral, even though there were like 300 opportunities to do so. Oh, I love that. I love the, <laughs> the it's like the the real time test of like the work. Absolutely. Like you, I was just staying afloat, and it was yeah, it was amazing. That's that's really cool, and that, I mean just just based on like what I, you know, I, I don't know you. We just met when this phone call started or the podcast <laughs> started over phone call. Um, you know, so I, it's like just I don't know. It for me, it's so inspiring, and I hope that you can see this. That like you went from you know in this really dark, isolated place at 12 years old. You know, doing doing drugs, and um, I, when people say doing drugs, I just feel like Nancy Reagan. Just right. So not not cool, but you know what I mean. Like doing weed. Doing, doing the the path. Um, but. I don't know. It's just, it's like, and that's all in like, not even, that's just in like a fraction of a lifetime. You know, it's it just, people feel so stuck in who they are and what they're doing and the lives that they have. And like, and I know that it's like, there's, I'm not, I hope that everything that I say comes with like the understanding that like privilege exists, like some people have, have much harder times of changing their narrative or their story just due to like, socioeconomic circumstances among a million other things, you know, and yeah. I hope that, I hope that comes across like, um, and I'm being sensitive to that, but it's like, like something you said earlier, it's like you got to do, when we first got on the phone, you said something about it, you know, it's, you got to, got to do it one bite at a time. Uh-huh. And um, this old, this, this Stan, this Native American guy I worked with when I was laying block for my uncle in high school used to tell me all the time, he's like, you got to approach your day like the caterpillar. you got to approach work like the caterpillar. He's like, that motherfucker will eat your entire garden. He'll do it one bite at a time. <laughs> he's right. And That's it's exactly the, I it. mean, yeah, it's the, it's the truth. And I think, um, I don't know, it's like you're not stuck in where you're at. You're not, you are not who you are in this moment. And how you're feeling in this moment is not forever. And I hope that people listening can, like, I don't know, find that as enough courage to like, I don't know, wear that, that red shirt you bought that you're not confident in wearing, you know what I mean? Or like, yeah. like stop wearing the narrative that other people have placed on you or that you've placed on yourself based on what you think other people expect of you because right. you're 100% of the time wrong. Other people Absolutely. aren't even thinking about you. Like they don't even fucking think about you. Right, and, and that's, the, that's one of the best things. I always remind myself of that. Like, that shit keeps me going. I'm like, nobody cares that much. They care more about themselves. So that's really comforting to me. Very very freeing, knowing that everybody else is just as insecure and worried about their own selves and so caught up in that to be actually worried about or, like, upset with whatever it is you're doing. Absolutely. And this has been a, such a great talk. I uh, I would definitely, you know... I could go for another probably hour. Um, but uh, I, I just want to say thanks so much for for being a guest on the show, Alex. Is there anything of yours that, or anything you'd like to plug, your Instagram, any organizations you'd like to encourage people to 
donate to. Oh, gosh. Um, I, was, I didn't know I was going to be on the spot for that. But I always – well, I always post things on my Instagram about what, I, what I'm thinking about, uh, where the money's going, where I'd like to encourage other people <laughs> to do the same. My dog is barking uh, at something right now. Hey, okay, we love dogs. <laughs> we love, love dogs on this show. Uh, but, yeah, my Instagram is earth, period, mommy, with M-A-M-I-I. -I. I am uh, – yeah, I just post. I don't know. I keep it real. It's a lot of freeform writing and pictures of whatever I think is interesting. Um, I spend a lot of time out there, and I'm always happy to help people, like, get into working trails uh, or working seasonally, and I am very uh, interested in making social media more social. Uh, I love meeting strangers on the Internet, and uh, will definitely get coffee with people. I travel a lot, um, and I'm I, I just I love that, um, especially because yeah, being out here on the road can be pretty damn lonely sometimes. So if anyone right. is interested in <laughs> hanging out or talking, then please give me a follow. Um, and yeah, I don't know. This conversation uh, gave me a lot of perspective uh, on my own experience, which I think I really really needed, especially at this point in my current transitional phase. So I really appreciate you having me. Yeah, well, it's pleasure's all mine, and I'm I'm just glad that you agreed to do the show. Absolutely. Well, Alex, I want to just say thanks one more time and uh, safe travels. Thank you so much, and uh, yeah, have a great day. We'll we'll see you on the internet and maybe out west at some point when I'm out there again. Absolutely, let me know. Okay, you take care and, and give your pup a belly rub for me. I will. I will. <laughs> okay. Bye. Oh dear. Yeah.